humbled by uh, the efforts here of the devotees to translate and publish my books in Polish. Ascetic Vedanta, I wrote about over 25 years ago. So, still good though. (laughs) 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 I can only write it again. I could add all these things, but um, it was a well received book and and it actually uh, was nominated for some prize. What was that prize?
exposure. So try to share it with your with your friends. With that, I'll ask for any questions tonight. Are there any questions? Yes. Maharaj, I've heard you say a few times that uh, a good student is rare to find. How you define a good student? Well, you know, somebody else asked me. Make sure you asked me that. The first person ever asked me that question, although I made the point a number of times, and I have to admit I hadn't thought about that much. I guess I know what a bad student is, but a good student. Then I started to get good, you know, mean a number of things. And to be honest with you, this is relative to the student's progress and background. And so it could be one thing for one student, and it could be another thing for another student, some kind of more, more secretive, more public samskar um, from previous lives, in this life. And so it has to be a kind of a, a sliding scale <laughs> as to what makes a, a good student. But, uh, but one of the things, and I mentioned to Mishwari also, at least, from my perspective, is uh, one that really fits, that really um, uh, uh, connects with me the way, at least for me, my student, the way that I can um, exemplify and teach about the Bodhi Vaishnavism and. Um, and in that sense, uh, have made uh, or are making an informed kind of decision. And to be honest with you, most of my students are like that because they come to me from having had exposure to go to Vaishnavism, other places, and other institutions, even other teachers, and so forth. And uh, sometimes coming out of that in a state of disrepair and damaged faith, so you all have something in common. Uh, but Sri Ramaraj asked me to do relief work uh, and try to help devotees who were becoming discouraged uh, due to circumstances and so forth. So the vast majority of my students simply do come from that kind of uh, background and um, and are making a choice that's more informed, perhaps, at, uh, at this time than they have in the past, or that others then have been a more informed choice that others than others have made in other circumstances and so forth. And I think that's important uh, to be a good student. It's good to be a little thought out in, in one's choice and have some measure of Guru Vishnu from from, from the start or something like that. Um, but again, I'm just kind of rambling about it. So I, what does it mean to, make, to be a good student? And again, so many things come to my mind relative to uh, different stages of progress and, uh, and, uh, and so on. I mean, um, Really, a sliding scale. That's to give an extreme uh, example. 
path to the broader idea of, of transcendence. But um, otherwise, um, there are a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, one being that, uh, well, um, that we have our Krishna Bhakti. So, in the context of Krishna Bhakti, there's also Guru Bhakti. So, for example, when Guru Swami uh, begins to uh, speak about the angas, the limbs of the body of Bhakti, the first limb of Bhakti that he mentions is Guru Parashraya, taking shelter of the Guru, and getting sikshya from the Guru, diksha from the Guru, serving him or her. Faithfully, enthusiastically, with confidence, and so on and so forth. Um, several angas about Guru Bhakti in the context of explaining Krishna Bhakti. So, Guru Bhakti is an important um, part of Krishna Bhakti. And so, in one sense, what that means is learning from the Guru about Krishna Bhakti and then. Um, Faithfully uh, applying oneself in Krishna Bhakti um, with regard to um, commitments made. You know, the first uh, Anga of Sharanagati is what Anukul, practical, accepting what's favorable for Bhakti and rejecting what's unfavorable. And the mood, if you will, behind. That is a, a vrata vow, um, a promise, a commitment. Um, and so, in other words, the way in which that anga is embraced is through making a commitment and living up to it. And of course, in the broader sense, when we do that, um, when we accept what's favorable, Bhakti and reject what's unfavorable in the full sense of the term, we have uh, embraced a different standard of good and bad than that which is dictated by the mind and the senses. So the mind and the senses say this is good, or they say this is bad, and we live our lives accordingly, and we end up rising and falling on the oceanic waves of material uh, duality. Uh, trying to avoid this, the lows and trying to increase the highs, so to speak, which just ends up making one's self seasick. So, by embracing a new, another standard of what's good and bad that transcends the reading of our mind and senses, in other words, if the mind and senses say this is bad, I don't like that, but it's good for bhakti, and I accept it. And if the mind and senses say that's good, like that, but it's not good for bhakti, then I reject it. So you can understand that if you really embrace, make a commitment, and you embrace this anger very quickly, you rise above, you base the dualities of material existence that arise in the mind, you have a different reading of reality, and it's going to be quite uh, uh, pleasant comparatively uh, to the emotional ups and downs. Of material life. So Sharanagati is not, not a small thing. This is the beginning of Sharanagati in one sense, the, the first two bhakas. Um, so, so, at any rate, um, we 
including our guru, one of the things that we do is we embrace Krishna Bhakti as he or she has taught us and uh, in terms of what he or she has asked of us. So, for example, we ask them, the disciples to chant, or we may ask them to do other things. It's not a one-size-fits-all. How much you chant, you different. And, and uh, we may ask the devotees to uh, engage uh, in different ways in what constitutes Krishna Bhakti. So, one aspect of being a good student then is to be committed to the Krishna Bhakti aspect of serving the Guru who asks you to do Krishna Bhakti and teaches you about Krishna Bhakti. Hmm? And um, um, another side then is that the Guru has um, his or her own perhaps service maybe especially in our party bar mission uh, um, whether it be publishing books or opening a temple or whatever it may be um, um, things that he or she is concerned about in the service of of, of his or her guru and the Guru Parampara as some, something to accomplish um, in this world for the Guru Parampara that will serve a wider range of devotees than those who are his or her uh, students formally. So uh, then, so to become acquainted with that, to become interested in that, and to think how I can participate in that is, is to have kind of grown, if you will, in terms of the relationship with the Guru. And you know, it's obviously an easy way to get uh, one's attention. Indeed, it's said that that aspect of being a student and serving the Guru can be uh, so uh, endearing to the Guru or so much uh, capturing the attention of the Guru that it can compensate for and even a, 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 a lacking in one's ability to engage in Krishna bhakti, which the Guru is also teaching. It can even eclipse um, Krishna bhakti and make even make Krishna bhakti an anga, a limb of the guru bhakti instead of the other way around. Because the devotee, guru's devotee, uh, is, uh, is, is the most dear thing uh, to Krishna. So to catch this idea of Vaishnavism, in the same thing, Kanishtadikari will serve the, the, the deity, and the Vaishnava the Guru may be a secondary thing. But for the Guru or the Vaishnava to be the primary thing, and, and, and service to Krishna to be the secondary thing, that's a rather peculiar, but, but it is a progressive idea. Now, you know, it's not that everybody can live with the Guru and and 
would have to do uh, that could be done by somebody else so that he or she could spend time on other things that others can't do. Hmm? It means little tiny things like grabbing your shoes, bringing the water, uh, you know, paying attention to those things. Those, those are the kind of things where you can do guru bhakti hmm, by living with the guru. But we can't all live with the guru in our uh, industrial society and so forth. Um, it seems the guru hasn't made a big enough house for us all yet, but uh, Krishna hasn't. <laughs> but, uh, but we can be concerned about and interested in you know, what, uh, what, what Guru Marsh is interested in and how to participate in that in some way and, and so forth. So this is kind of an inside track, if you will, to getting the attention of our Guru. And that's what we want. We really want the attention of the Guru who is some of the spiritual consequence um, in our lives. And we may be doing something small, but we have his attention. That's that's the whole idea. Sadhana is about attracting Krishna's attention, right? So uh, Krishna is always trying to serve his, his devotees. The devotees are never never want to accept service from Krishna, so we can come in and serve the devotee, and, and Krishna will be very pleased with us because he wanted to do that. So we can we can we can do what uh, what Krishna can what wants to do. In that way, and that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, I think that that, um, that is um, uh, a kind of uh, spiritual uh, uh, wisdom and developed insight on the part of the disciple that uh, that um, as you can understand naturally draws the attention of guru to us and. and start to become one of his arms and legs and organs and then he starts to think about you as he would on parts of his own body and then he wants to if he gets extra money he wants to give it to you <laughs> so that you have a better situation so that you can, you can do the service and so forth and suddenly the guru-disciple relationship starts looking like something other than what it, you know, formally is talked about in the scripture, and it's hard to understand uh, um, for others, and, and the disciple might be the telling the guru, don't do this, okay, thank you. <laughs> so this is what you want, you, you, you kind of want to come to this type of intimacy, if, if you will, where the, where the the rules are suspended and, uh, and the distance is, uh, is, is bridged is, is gap, and the gap is, is, is bridged and, um, and it may look like one thing but um, like there's a, there's a lack of respect or something uh, I'll give you an example what, what, uh, once uh, Bhujapachiramar said, uh, uh, thank you, create some distance. He said, thank you, it's a format, it's a, you know, create some distance. Um, you never, it's very, like, you don't often hear Indians say thank you. You might have noticed that. Thank you. 
And if you say, don't give up to the middle. Which means thank you. So, they don't like hear it. hit. You know, in West Coast, at least in, in, in the United States, it's like we're taught that as a child, say thank you, and show gratitude, and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, Pujipachini Marsai is like it creates them. It goes without saying. And if you have to say it, then you're, you're bringing attention to something that's already understood and unnecessarily and was getting in the way. So, um, in my vision, that would be kind of an ideal uh, um, society of a guru or a disciple, where in one sense it, it, it might look externally, even from an external uh, reading of the scripture, to be um, something different than what the scripture is talking about, really is talking about it, 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 it exemplifying its it in an essential sense of the full, uh, um, it represents the full measure of Vishwamba, who is able service with confidence and uh, uh, firm faith and so forth, faith, confidence, uh, uh, the literal translation for Vishwam, Vishwam Guru Seva. So, um, and you know, uh, Shidamarsha's mom was, was a little bit like that for for me to experience compared to Prabhupada, which was very formal, Prabhupada was at a, at a distance from most of the devotees. Um, the magnitude of his mission, the number of his disciples, of course, added to that, and it was a new thing, you know, in the West to have a guru and, uh, and, uh, and so on. So, with, with Bashida Marshad, a smaller scene into, into the disciples that would. That we wouldn't as readily interacted with uh, the prophet, but they had full love for Guru Maharaj. It, it wasn't absent. Their respect for him wasn't absent at all. It wasn't missing. It might have looked like it was missing from the, from the, to the naked eye, but it wasn't. It had morphed into it. It had turned into this uh, the, um, the application of that, the regard, the love, if you will, had. Really translated out fully into um, into the service that's kind of um, was um, kind of a matter of the, of the heart, so to speak. Um, so um, that might be maybe my uh, my ideal of a real disciple kind of. Uh, relationship. It's not exactly what I was talking about when I made a point it's hard to find a good disciple. I think what I meant at that time is that, that, that it's easy to find disciples who get a little interested in those interests and, and they, they don't, aren't very well informed about what it, what it is to begin with and that leads to their disinterest in time and um, but she was told in the beginning, he makes disciples out of anybody because you need some help. And they may come, they may stay, and they, they may go, but you need some help, so go make some disciples. And, uh, and eventually, then you, you'll be able to collect some people who can 
not. So um, I, I guess when I made the statement, it's hard to find a good disciple. I've said it before. Um, I was in my mind thinking more of the the example of not a, a good disciple who, who doesn't have interest in understanding the teaching. Um, um, comes and goes, doesn't practice. Um, uh, uh, you can't have much of a relationship because he's not interested in the same thing. <laughs> um, that's another point too. Uh, some of the devotees asked me, I do appreciate it uh, that you know Guru Maharaj and I serve you and want to you know have a relationship with you. That's get to know you better or something like that kind of thing. And the answer to that is very practical. We have to, it takes time. It takes time. You have to hang out with me and come to festivals and come to Madhavan sometimes and visit there. It just takes time. It spends time. If you spend time, then we get to know how weird I am. (laughs) You understand my idiosyncrasies and humanness and so forth. You know, you'll be a game changer or a goal Different level of questions 
within Gobi Vaishnavism. The level of interest, so there may be more introductory texts. Um, although I kind of like it all, <laughs> you know, from the beginning teachings to the end teachings. The lower, there are kind of like no lower teachings in one sense. Once I was asked by, by a guru in his con, a godbrother of mine, who was hearing from a, a sadhu, and he was hearing about topics that he was unfamiliar with, there were higher topics about Lila and, um, and so forth, or Asadichar, and apparently the way he was hearing about it, and then he was repeating it to others, others were getting confused by what he was saying, because I guess they couldn't digest the higher topics, or he hadn't digested them enough, to know how to repeat them in a way that would be appropriate and nourishing to uh, uh, less advanced devotees. So, um, he asked me, how is it that Sridhar Maharaj talked about higher topics in such a way that this, and this was happening apparently quite a bit in this particular circle that this fellow was coming from. So he asked me, how is it that when you heard from Sridhar Maharaj you talked about higher topics that you were, that the devotees, there wasn't this kind of confusion that was created. And I said to myself, well, actually, in Sridhar Maharaj, mostly talked about lower topics in the highest way. <laughs> and then very tastefully from there, you know, he would be taken to something higher and, and, and there would be a window to that and, and so forth. And I think that's a good point, actually, because uh, you can see, I think it's quite enthusiastic about some contemporary explanation of what it means to be consciousness rather than matter, even though that's like just the ABCs of the Gaudi Vaishnavism. Rupa Goswami says, knowledge about the difference between the Atma and the body and the Atma's kind of qualitative oneness with the Brahman is not an Anga Bhakti. You know, many times Prabhupada said, you're not the body. <laughs> so someone can succeed, he's not even teaching about body, he's teaching about some lower thing. We are talking about Manjali Bhagavad <laughs> Well, we have to also understand that Rupa Goswami is saying this in a particular time and a particular environment where it was pretty much understood by everybody, at least theoretically, that you're not the body and there's reincarnation and so forth. And this is the preoccupation of the Advaita. Uh, school, and they had a strong hold on the religious uh, community, um, and and so Gaudi Vaishnavas, you know, it's it's it's, it's uh, they were Rupans, not and so forth. They were establishing this with this new Sampradaya and, and so forth, and uh, and they were speaking about something beyond that. What was the potential of the Atma? Once you've figured that out, that you're not the body, does it stop there, or is there something more? And that's what Gaudiya Vaishnava is all about, right? That's the Chaitanya Chaitanya the Chaitanya means consciousness. So it's about the immortal, nectarine character of consciousness and transcendence. Not just consciousness as if it were matter. Nothing else can be said. Words stop there. Mm-hmm.
the way to lay down the perspective is you can't speak about it. Our perspective is you can't say enough about it. Words can't capture it. There's not enough that you can say. Anyway, so that's the teaching. It's true. Um, but as I say, the Buddha is making that point in a particular environment. We're making an environment where people think they are the body, and even the leading philosophical currents of thought um, in, in the world today are that there's nothing but physical forces in the world, and there's no mind, what to speak of an atma or a soul or an individual person. It's only, it's, so it's like, if you want to speak to them, you kind of got to get in there on that level and so forth. And you know, I could get excited about it too. Um, and um, I speak about it to some extent. You know, you've heard it from me, so you know that I, I do that. Of course, that said, also, it's true that in the context of Samanagyan, which means the knowledge of, of Bhakti, which who is Bhagavan, who is the Jiva, who is matter, you do have to explain the relationship between matter and the Jiva, the Jiva and Bhagavan, so the fact that the Jiva is not the body. Of course, it does come out in the context of some of the um, But unto itself, anyway, it's not an bhakti. But that's it. It's, a, it's kind of a lower topic in, 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 in any event, even within the context of some of the gyan or higher aspects of some of the gyan, obviously. But, um, yeah, but really, it's true. Um, all of these uh, topics are very... Uh, um, Exciting. Once uh, uh, the Balabatir Maharaj, who passed away, I guess within the last year, um, he, a book of his talks on the Prahlad, Chari, the character of Prahlad, the Prahlad, the Shingalila, was published. And uh, on the back of the book, not in the back cover, it was, I think it was in the back cover, it was written, uh, this is a story of Prahlad and so on. So those who say, that they already read this this story of Prahlad and Shri there's so many lessons there but um, you know it's not Rasalim either and so he said those who said I've already read this he said they haven't read it because <laughs> if, if you have to remember who was it that taught Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Shri Bhagavatam who knows who's his Bhagavatam teacher? Karada Pandit. Pandit Ji Karada. Speaker of Bhagavatam. In Chaitanya Bhagavatam, it's related to repeatedly, repeatedly, that uh, the stories of Guruva, Guru Maharaj, and Prahlada which covers ten chapters of the Bhagavatam, were explained, recited by. Another point to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You might think, well, obviously, we only talked about Rasalila there. But apparently, that's not the case. Uh, so, um, in the Prahlad and of course, it comes to the point where, where Prahlad is the embodiment of, of selflessness with regard to material life. He has no material selfishness, but he's only the beginning of spiritual selflessness, which reaches its zenith. In Braj Bhakti, where there's, there's no, they, they don't have any idea of their self whatsoever. 
their self is their self, which would be what, what pleases you, is only what pleases Krishna. They have no other consideration there. Example, the Rukmini compared to gopis is um, worth citing in this regard. She had some spiritual selfishness or a sense of self and 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 couldn't just run off with Krishna. It had to be authorized by the Vedas. So she sent a letter to the Brahman for a um, Gandharva marriage that she had kidnapped. The gopis, they didn't have any consideration. They heard the flute, they went, that's all. Krishna calling, we're going. But what about this? But what about that? There's no thought about that. So there's a gradation in, in this. We find also a great Bhagavatam to a spiritual selflessness, forgetfulness of the self, if you will, which is, which is, as it increases, the identification with Krishna is, is increased. So this is kind of the oneness with Krishna in the oneness and difference equation, if you will. So, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I've lectured on the Pradhacharya, we have had festivals for three, four days at a time, lecturing morning and evening about the uh, uh, Srimadhi uh, many years, and uh, it's, it's a wealth to be found there, uh, an insight, deep and important uh, spiritual insight. So, the lower, in one sense, there's no lower topics. In another sense, there are, there are lower topics and higher topics. And, and the, the trick is to speak about the lower topics in, in the highest way. And, um, and, and then you can digest the higher topics <laughs> as well. So, um, at any rate, I was making the point that the, the questions, uh, students, interests, in the philosophy, you know, it says, you know, he, he's reading the books, he's paying attention, he's thinking about these things, he's interested in this. Uh, I, I, I like to spend more time with him. We have something in common, you understand? There's something in common. Um, so, now that said, again, it's a sliding scale. So, um, um, you know, I've, I've been there and done that. With regard to uh, um, having material difficulties and uh, and um, and I have my material experience, so I can be empathetic to devotees who are not that interested <laughs> in the philosophy, but that they like me and they they like Krishna a little, but. Other things are more prominent in their lives because of where they're at. Um, so uh, we don't have as much to talk about, but um, so it's hard to be closer at that point. But at the same time, um, I identify with, with their situation, and I I can feel very happy finding ways in which that they are comfortable with Krishna consciousness and applying themselves in that situation. If they have honestly, they don't have that much interest, or they were previously, for example, so I said, 
I used to think, beat myself up because I didn't have as much as enough interest. That doesn't make me happy. That doesn't, that, that makes me think, oh God, so I'm going to save it from that. <laughs> Don't do that. Find the level of your, you're attached to me and, and the question of this, your hope in life. So hang on to that and, and apply yourself to the, according to the level of your understanding and enthusiasm. And find a way that can uh, emphasize those things and then I feel a good student. <laughs> He's a good student. He's a good student. Something like that. So again, this is very sliding scale. But admittedly, when I'm asked questions about things that I'm preoccupied with, it's it's uh, it's uh, stimulating. But um, but that may take time, and we got time. We're going to be around forever. So we better get used to one of them. It's a bit of a rambling answer, maybe not entirely definitive, but those are some thoughts. I did better on this time. <laughs> Keep asking. Answer might get better. So, what else? Yes. Come with a question <coughs> about Brahma. Because he was chanting Tapa, and eventually uh, Krishna and Gopal appeared to him and gave him uh, a mantra. But then, uh, also we are reading and we are discussing recently that... He wasn't chanting Tapa. He heard the chanting Tapa. He heard the chanting Once. Okay. And then he engaged in Tapa. Okay. Then Krishna appeared. You Tapa. But the question is, uh, we hear that the Bhakti is independent, but we get it from devotees. Seems like he got it directly from Krishna, so I was wondering, is it some special story with Brahma from past uh, life, or there is some way where Krishna directly uh, answers the call of the devotee? Well, it was a unique situation, there was nobody else around. <laughs> 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 But also, it's, uh, it's mentioned in Bhagavad Gita Sindhu that one becomes a devotee, uh, or obtains Baba, for example, by either by Masadana um, or by mercy. Mercy can come in two ways by mercy of a devotee or by mercy of Krishna. So, here's an instance by mercy of Krishna, he, um, he, he became Krishna conscious. But again, it was easy. He's the, he's the uh, kind of mytho-historical founder of the Brahma Sampradaya. He has a direct connection with Krishna. He's, he's not uh, a uh, typical kind of example that um, those type of teachings are um, pertaining to when you I think Mark was commenting on, uh, on literary comedy, which may have brought this to your mind that we get bhakti from devotees. I mean, this book is written for us, and now it's there's nothing for Brahmas. Um, so, and that said, of course, it's not like someone's born Brahma didn't have previous lives. 
So you become a Brahman, you have to have some, done something. So, you know, not every Brahman is a devotee. Hmm? A particular Brahman who is showcased in the Bhagavatam is, 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 is a nice devotee. But what was it before Brahman? So, he could have the devotees then and got some Bhagavatam's Kriti and Sabhati. Some scar and so forth, and now it's Brahman. Does that help? Yeah. I read recently a Vishnata Chakravarti Thakur saying that, uh, uh, that Krishna, yeah, God is supposed to be impartial because he's a God of justice, therefore he's giving the mercy to the devotees. But it brought to my mind that actually Krishna is also independent and sometimes he can just break that rule, and I was wondering actually about Brahma if that's the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's not tied by the rule that he has to be. No, I mean, Krishna, he really, you know, I don't know. Someone wanted to translate yes. the... It was requested to translate the questions. The Polish. Oh, uh, sorry. And so we have a question like about Brahma, that Krishna pojawił się w rachnie, spełniał życzenie. A jest też powiedziane, że Krishna daje swoją łaskę przed wielbicieli. Później jeszcze dodałem, że, że jest powiedziane też, że Krishna jest Bogiem sprawiedliwości, także nie powinien być właśnie stronniczy, dlatego czasami używa wielbicieli, ale zastanawiam się, czy czasem może łamać tę zasadę, na przykład w przypadku rachni. So what was the part now, Gręski? Uh, no, this part was like that Krishna is the God of Justice. Okay. Actually, Krishna is not the God of justice. Krishna is the God of mercy. But in order to be merciful, there has to be justice. Because mercy is overriding justice. If there's no justice to override, then there's no mercy. So, justice, the principle of justice is there in this world. And it, it uh, plays itself out through karma. Mm-hmm. So karma is um, a function of the world, uh, a response of the world to the input. Uh, the, the idea is that, that we have a subtle body. Mm-hmm. And so the subtle body has a seat of desire, manas. It has uh, discrimination. Uh, this is, these are ontological realities, right? So they're real things, if you will. Uh, it has, so it has booty, intelligence. It has uh, identification that pulls all this together, ego, hunger. It has chitta. So these uh, things, uh, aspects of the subtle body, have some corresponding, in the microcosm of each person, has something that corresponds with it in, in the world, if you will. So like, consciousness is, chitta is about uh, uh, awareness and um, values and so forth. So, so therefore, what corresponds with this is that in the fabric of nature there is morality. That means karma. So 
because they don't believe in karma and so forth. You have to explain what is chitta and honestly, especially the chitta and how there has to be a course. Because if that exists, then there has to be a... So anyway, there's karma. The karma is, is, is the principle of justice. So as we, you know, you put a, a quarter in the machine, you're going to get something out. You put a dollar in the machine, you're going to get something else. How we interact with material nature is going to um, produce a reaction, right? And the way it functions is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Of that is the same for the Bible. It's misunderstood even how I'm using this properly in this application. It corresponds with the misunderstanding of it, but that's another thing. But you get my point. What you put in, then you get a corresponding reaction. It might not be the one you want, but it's the one that corresponds with that. If you put a quarter in, you only get this. If you put a dime in, you get, you put a, what do they call that? A dollar here, a Polsky or something, but then, you get it, you get it. You know, so, uh, that's all a whole, like, system. It's a machine, right? It's like a computer. So, that's the way it works. And it's just, it's a law. It's, it's, you know, Bhakti's not like that at all. You can put a little bit in and get a huge response back. Put a huge amount in and get a small response. It's possible. Um, he wasn't paying attention that day. Rob had his attention. But anyway, so it works differently. Um, it's love. Unpredictable. Love is unpredictable. Dynamic, exciting. Um, Karma is 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 much of you know, a breakdown of love where it becomes now. There's a law, the interactions are lawful. So there's justice. And Krishna defers to justice. So he doesn't typically interfere with that. Um, and as you say, his devotees are the manifestation of his compassion and mercy and they're moving in the world as another force so there's the force of karma and there's the force of bhakti and through the force of bhakti then the karma karma force can be overridden and mercy can then take precedence over justice even though this was the just thing to do mercy has played itself out and uh, we were off the hook to speak. That's the general idea. And so, and so Krishna then is, 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 is not involved um, and therefore he's thought to be unbiased. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he does have a bias towards his devotees, but that's not a blemish, that's an ornament. If he was biased in this world and helped one person and not another, then he wouldn't be fair um, and um, he, would, he would be faulted. So he's just kind of like not involved. And the fruits of what we, the fruits that we experience in life are based on what we sow. He's not, he's not involved in that. Um, his devotees, his mercy, then that's another thing there. Spreading good, good fortune and, uh, and um, creating that for, for others, overriding the system of justice. Um, and um, then your question is well, 
doesn't Krishna sometimes override justice? Um, he does, but the way in which Krishna does it is in relation to his devotees. So that is a different realm. Krishna doesn't interfere in the material situation, and he has no experience of material suffering, as you know. Um, so he's not the best person to be empathetic for material suffering. If Krishna had experience of material suffering, maybe he could be more empathetic for your suffering. But if he had experience of material suffering, he couldn't save you from it because material suffering comes from material attachment and ignorance, and he would have been in ignorance. And he's not in ignorance, and that's why he can save us. So you can't say, you know, I wish he felt more empathetic for my material situation. He sounds a little aloof, but he's not aloof, and he's involved in it, and he's not a good person to deliver us from it. So, so you have this in between the way it's resolved in Gaudi Vaishnavism theologically, but there are the devotees, they're the extension of Krishna himself, and uh, they, over, they have empathy, they've, had, they've been there, they've done that, they've had material experience, so they can be empathetic. Hmm? And, um, and, and Bhakti is the very compassionate nature of Krishna, so as Bhakti grows within one, he or she can't tolerate the suffering of others on any level. Jive doi Krishna Saranam Sar. We heard Udharam Dutta. He had a 10 acre kitchen for feeding people of Bengal during the, uh, during the drought and, uh, and so forth. And he's giving Krishna Bhakti also. So, um, their magnanimous oceans of of, 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 of mercy and so forth. Um, that's their nature. Krishna is also compassionate. That's one of his qualities. But his compassion and his mercy is expressed in relation to his devotees who he's interacting with because they are, he is completely under the influence of and overwhelmed by is sort of Shakti. That's Krishna. Hmm? Krishna means God overwhelmed by his sort of Shakti. That's what makes him the son of Ishoda. That's what makes him the friend of uh, Subal and Sudama and, and the, the, the lover of Radha, which means he's like under their control, he can't. I mean, he's God, but he has to. He has to do what they want by the power, the force of love. Without the, the less there is bhakti in the equation of our relationship with Bhagawan, then the less Bhagawan is controlled. So as we move from Raj to Vaikuntha, Bhagawan, the same Bhagawan, appears more as the controller. In, in Vaikuntha, he's the controller. Lakshmi doesn't have a relationship with Narayan like Radha does with Krishna. Right? So bhakti, the more bhakti is a factor, the more uh, uh, Krishna is uh, not ostensibly appearing as a controller. Now he's appearing as a son. 
as a, as a, as a friend, as uh, a depressed lover <laughs> who can't get the attention of his of his beloved. Uh, this is doesn't look at all like the typical picture of God, right? The controller and so forth. Ishwas, not high on shelter of all beings, but he is. But so Bhakti is really this is a Veda Veda equation between Bhakti and Krishna. And Bhakti, you can't have Krishna without that particular kind of Bhakti, that Raga Bhakti, that is Krishna. That rock bhakti has an object and that it corresponds with, so they're one and different at the same time. So, this Krishna, Krishna is under the control of bhakti, so he can't move outside of the orbit of bhakti. Even if he wanted to, he can't. Now, of course, you have to understand that bhakti, that subtracting, is his own nature, so again, it's one within. We have we have three principal shaktis above one. Do you understand me? We have three three principal shaktis of Krishna. Do you understand my English? What are the three? Three shaktis of Krishna. Maya shakti. Maya shakti. shakti. And Swarup Shakti, right? So, all these Shaktis are one with Krishna and different from Krishna at the same time. But Maya Shakti is more different than it is one. The Swarup Shakti is more one than it is different. We, 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 we can be more one, or we could be more different. Depending on which of the two, of the two we come under the influence of. Mm-hmm. So we are much product of our environment. We have a nature that lends itself to being nurtured in a particular way that determines our potential and the nature of our existence. So the thing with the Sarup Shakti, Krishna being under the control of his Sarup Shakti doesn't compromise is being the supreme god because it's his own internal shakti again we move between this abed perspective to the bed perspective at any rate he is under the control of bhakti bhakti is not under the control of krishna <laughs> she's more independent than krishna wherever bhakti goes krishna has to go if Bhakti comes to you, Krishna has to go there. You cannot avoid it. Hmm? So, this is the orbit in which he stays. Right? So, he can only show mercy then in that uh, context and compassion, which is one of his qualities for his devotees. And this is who he's interacting with. And that's good for those who aren't devotees because there's a person who's beyond the condition that the non-devotees are in, which is a condition of ignorance and suffering. And he has no experience of that. Hmm. So, that answers your question. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
find instances where Krishna seems to show mercy to somebody who's not a devotee in the country. This is Zulila, perhaps. Or we'd say he slays demons and there's mercy. But then, this is Leela and how they even got there. There's some background to that. Uh, like if you remember, like, like, like Gargas and Mita, for example. Who was Putin in the previous life? Who was Trinavarta in the previous life? And so we get some interesting stories there. So, and Krishna's in his Leela. There's another way to look at that too. Krishna's Leela, of course, is his own world, even if he manifests here. But here, it's a possibility of some people coming into it who aren't supposed to be there. Hmm. And so if, you, if they come in, I guess if you deal with them in that situation, they're in there. How do they get in? Even the Swami says that, that sometimes, because there are some stories like Durvas uh, offended Ambarish, and then the chakra. Of Narayan started chasing him. So he went to Brahma and said, I can't help you. Go to Shiva. Shiva said, I can't help you. Go to Narayan. So he went to Narayan and he entered the Vaikuntha. And Narayan said, I can't help you. You have to go back to Ambarish. He offended my devotee. You have to go back to him. But then someone said, How did Durabhas get into Vaikuntha? Jiva Goswami says, sometimes a king brings a tiger within a cage into the assembly hall for his royal assembly to look at and be amused by. Hmm? So sometimes Narayan lets some uncivilized non-devotee into Vaikuntha. The inhabitants can be amused by <laughs> a strange creature. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> so, Krishna stays within the orbit of the Sarubhashat. And in the context of the orbit that he moves within, he's merciful, he's compassionate. What's the time? Twenty past seven. Okay, so what's next, Arctic? Prashant, right? Are you going to have a native ceremony tonight, like last night? Well, I thought, what if they did? They've got a drum set. All I could hear was the drums, and then I got off their chain, too. Natives were getting restless. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight would be a better night for a fire, though it's a little cooler, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. In, in Gopala Champu, mm-hmm. Jiva Goswami starts Gopala Champu with a very long description of Goloka based on the first verses of, of Brahma Samhita mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Triangles and tridents and lotus petals and, and it's very complicated. At least the translation I was reading didn't seem to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. But but I'm wondering about the purpose of this description. Because it seems nobody else after Jiva Goswami picks up on this, and it's very much Aishvarya and, and kind of a, a abstract. Yeah, well, I'll say that I, the, the translations. Uh, 
commentaries even of Brahmasamhita and Goswami's commentary there or uh, the beginning of Gopal Champu. It's, it's, I think the translations of Brahmasamhita's commentary are accurate um, in that sense, but still it's uh, abstract concept. In Gopal Champu, I think it's Champu that it's much more difficult to translate. It's really long sentences in English and so forth. And so persons have tried it, a couple persons uh, have tried to translate it. And, and when you have in that genre an effort to explain something that's already abstract, uh, I also found it like a little tedious and, and and when I remember first reading it, difficult to kind of like get a handle on, so to speak. Um, but um, you know, these are like basically um, what's the word for that? Um, you know, um, in the tantra, it's like a picture of a, like a yantra, yantra. So it's, it's sign language, you know. It's, it's symbolic. Uh, um, um, uh, and it's a type of visualization that um, corresponds with the mantra, for example, and, and, the, and the person describes. So you have the person, for example, Krishna, or the abode of Krishna, which is a, a sacred geography, and, and then you have the symbolic map present uh, presentation of it that's in one sense seeks to make it more concrete and something that you can meditate on and so forth but in other senses is, uh, is as you say is very abstract and we don't you're right we don't find it played out anywhere else in the Gaudi literature it's more like yogic yoga is which is full of Symbolism, subtleties, and uh, um, uh, you know the chakras, and uh, this kind of subtle world type of stuff. Yantras uh, are you know prominent in that that realm. It doesn't seem to be um, have anywhere near the same kind of prominence in Gaudi Vaishnavism. But you know it does show up here and there. Um, so um, I agree with you that this like as to uh, uh, why he even starts like that. For example, in Gopal Champu, maybe because the Mahabharata thought or uh, taught that the fifth chapter of the Brahma Samhita is a authoritative description so he's going to write a Champu about Krishna Leela in Golok and how they're reflecting on the, on the Bauma Leela which Gopal Champu is about so he wants to describe the place and and this is a reference that Mahaprabhu accepted and validated and so he's drawing from it there his the explanation in Gopal Champu is, is in one sense, it's got the Champu problem, you know, the genre of the, 
text, but it's uh, it, it's a little more concrete, or uh, I think understandable than Promise and Heath of explanation. So I would just say these are, you know, was, is one way in which it was described, and for a different uh, mindset, and you come to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's. I mean, I mean, Golok is very abstract and very secret. It's the Mahavaikuntha, and it's co- covered in this way. Indeed, the way the map or the sacred geographies talk about, we've got tried in some different corners and keeping people out. And it's a way of saying all these, all the cities are there, and they're all present there, and so forth. That they represented on the circumference and protecting the place and. It's kind of a way of saying everything that's possible in every other path is is there in the local least. That's one aspect of, of what it's saying. Um, and given that Brahmasamita, we take it as it's a very old text, long, long before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Gaudiya Vaishnavism, then the ways in which such a thing would be talked about would be more secretive. I mean, Brahmasamita ends with verses like... Um, what is it? Shriyakanta. Um, 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 yeah, how's it end? Shriyakanta, Kanta, Parimapurusha, Kanta, Kanamari, Toyamam, Kataganam, Gamamam, 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 Aham Bhaja Shreta Dvipam, Aham Bhaja Shreta Dvipam Tamaham Golokam Nityam. So here Goloka referred to as Shreta Dvip, and as a place that's very known to a very, very few people, very, very secret place. Now it's been talked about in this, this abstract, described language, so far it's kind of sacred. Geography of it, and that corresponds with this, this very um, uh, impenetrable, difficult place to get to. Um, um, and then comes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like opening the doors to it everywhere, and so on. So you, you can bring that description along, put it there, and then you know, you said it now. But the doors are open, let's talk about it more. What it's all about, the Bhagavas of it, and personify them through new narratives and so forth, and, and talk about the essence of it, what makes it go round, and so on and so forth, rather than, you know, some geographical type of trans geographical, transpatial kind of explanation of it, which um, is a lesser explanation in one sense. From thoughts. Yeah. 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 Uh, Guru Mahaj would like to invite you to join us for a celebration of Matthiyana Ashin Swami's birthday uh, just now. And so we invite all the devotees to. Is there any cake? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bhakti Bhaya Shah Maharaj Jai 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 Jai